Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 123 of the Farbim Metal Podcast. I'm your host and guide in this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, I welcome back Tim Charles from Neabla Viscaris onto the program. Tim is the violinist and clean vocalist of the band and has always been a really helpful person for this show, uh, helping get my very first guest in there now, former drummer Dan Pressland, as well as coming on the show himself. So anytime they have a new album, I'm going to be happy to be there to talk with any of those folks about it. And I'm happy to have Tim back on the program to talk about their new incredible album, Exil. We're also talking about working with his daughter on their music video for the song Grawl, as well as his new approach to life becoming more mindful and taking that new mindset out on the road and finding balance in that in a healthy way. So before we dive into my chat with Tim Charles, here's a bit of Grawl from the new album by Nebulous Gars, Exel. Nice to talk to you again. How, you, how are you? How have you been? Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's been a long time and there's definitely been some big ups and downs, but things are going really well right now, which is, which is fantastic. Good. I guess that's all you can really do the whole day at a time thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, be, be grateful for the times when things are going well and not too many challenges and, um, yeah, lots of exciting times ahead as well. Good. Uh, I'm going to start the Zoom as a backup, but I've got the other thing going already. So here's our robot lady to tell us. Recording in progress. They're watching everything we do. Alrighty. So, uh, Tim, welcome back to the show. It's been a long time since you've been on. Last time we spoke, you were on tour. I honestly don't remember where. You had a rough cough. It was a weird interview, but we made it work because we are pros. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are things right now for you down in, down in Australia? How, how's your summer? Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, it's, it's been, um, it's been a busy summer, I guess, because, you know, just the, the new singles coming out and preparing for the new album, obviously with me managing the band as well. And, you know, we have a big world tour coming up. There's just enormous amounts of stuff to do. And there's really kind of no end to the amount of stuff that you, you can do um, to try and help move things along and um, and also with our Patreon and other stuff like that. So it's a busy time, but things are going really well. And I think that it's always much easier to be busy when, um, when it's something that you're really enjoying. And so that's definitely the case at the moment. Knowing what you do with this band, when everything was first announced late last year, part of me was like, oh God, Tim, because <laughs> knowing that you manage the band and just everything that goes behind this beast, how, like, after so long with pandemic and stuff, was getting back into that mindset difficult for you? It was, actually. Um, it was really difficult because, you know, in in 20, 
2014, you know, we started to get interest to tour overseas and we did this World Tour crowdfunding campaign and it was a massive success, you know, broke records here in Australia for music-related crowdfunding, that sort of stuff. And then in 2015, off we went. Um, and we never really stopped, you know. We just kept finding solutions to stay out on the road. You know, we ran out of money from the crowdfunding campaign. So, you know, we launched a subscription service through Patreon and, and we continued to be out and tour and all that sort of stuff. Whereas when the pandemic happened, like it literally happened. We just recorded drums for the album, you know, like uh, Benji and Tino were over in Europe. Our producer, Mike Lewis, was in Nashville. Um, you know, they were due to fly to Australia like the following week. The borders actually got closed to Italians the the day that Martino was supposed to fly to Australia. Like he woke up at 5.30 in the morning in Italy and called me being like, hey, Tim, what do I do? Do I hop on the plane? Because it had just been announced that, hey, we've closed, we're closing the borders. And the, the time that they were going to close it, he was going to be in the air. And so we were like, well, if you hop on, are they going to let you off or are they going to send you back? And I remember calling like a government hotline and they didn't know because of course they're all making it up on the fly because it hadn't happened before. So he decided not to hop on the plane and then the borders were closed in Australia for like almost two years. Our whole album got completely shut down and we got to like April, May 2020. And instead of finishing the record, look, we were supposed to finish the record by May 2020. We had everything booked. Everyone was coming to Australia. It was going to be done. He said, there was nothing to do. We're all in lockdown, not allowed to leave the house. All the recording studios are closed. You know, half the um, people we need for the album are stranded in different countries. So it was really difficult because from that point, you know, it really, the focus became other things. Um, you know, and I, you know, I have a, a daughter, you know, she's almost 11 and ever since she was like two and a half, three years old. Like her dad was on the road touring a lot. And all of a sudden I was home all the time. And that was really great. And it was really a beautiful thing to just see her so much and spend so much time with her and, and be there for her in a day-to-day -day basis. Like for now, I mean, it feels weird to say this, but I came home, she was seven and a half. She's about to turn 11. I've been home that whole time. You know, that's a huge portion of her life now that I've been back home and then having those discussions over the last six months to let her know, hey, I got to go back on the road and this is why she's a lot older. She understands it a lot more. But there was that change of focus where these other things really took precedence. And for me, I realized, you know what, I can actually be really happy at home, not doing much. I don't need the band in order to be happy. I don't I don't need to be touring or performing or anything like that. It was kind of a really eye-opening thing to realize, hey, I can just be really happy to sit at home with my daughter and hanging out. And then it was like, how do I take that and reintegrate the band, but do it in a healthy way that is good for the band and still works for family and all that sort of stuff. And just working that out and getting that headspace, it took a while. Um, that's like the honest answer and that was really the whole of the whole of last year you're trying to get back into the process of finishing the record and then once it was done it was like okay now i've got to get back into the process of my day-to-day -day life being busy again with managing the band because it was um so quiet for a couple of years and you actually touched on something i was going to ask about later but i think it is important to make sure we get it in um 
in this time you went through a dark period and you became someone who finds meditation very helpful and mindfulness very helpful is part of you nervous about losing that routine as you go back on the road and click back into band mode or are you still trying to find that footing yeah great question so for me you know i i I had a really rough period just in a lot of different ways you know um in like 2020-21 you know the pandemic hit obviously it shut down the band all I was doing was the band um, managing and playing. So I had no other work at that time. So I had to go and find other work. So I was, so I could pay my bills. You know, I got, um, I got divorced. My mom died. There's all the general pandemic stuff that everyone had to deal with, which is a lot, just general ongoing stress, doing things like being in lockdown. Melbourne, Australia was the most lockdown city in the entire world. I remember you guys had it figured out. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, so there was a lot of stuff that was going on. And then, you know, that stress creates stress on other things. You know, there was big challenges. My daughter found it really hard, you know, being in a pandemic, you know, in and out of school, you know, all that different sort of stuff. So for me, um, getting into mindfulness meditation, you know, I started meditating a little bit like almost 20 years ago. You know, I got very sick in my early 20s with chronic fatigue syndrome, actually. And that was the thing that I turned to. But then when I started to get a bit better with my CFS, I dropped it. (laughs) And of course, as you do. So then when hard times come along, again, I wasn't really prepared. I didn't really look after myself very well. I was really burnt out, worn out. Um, And the, the honest response from that is that, you know, sometimes I wasn't really that nice to be around. Like I wasn't always the best dad or the best, you know, um, partner or son or friend or whatever because being just being so stressed out and all that sort of stuff so for me getting back in touch with meditation was a really big change in my life direction now of course it's a lot easier to find the time for self-care when you're in lockdown you know like to leave the house and you're all by yourself like you got time is something that i had like enormous amounts of so the last um, six to 12 months has been quite challenging because it's been, well, how do I continue to look after myself? Because it changed my life in such a positive way whilst being busy. And once again, the honest response is that it's been up and down <laughs> because you you go, oh, no, I'm getting to old patterns. I'm dropping this because I'm prioritizing this deadline or whatever. And then the deadline goes and you continue with that bad habit. And the bad habit might be checking your emails at seven in the morning as soon as you get up because you're wondering what your European agent emailed you and can you quickly get back to him before he goes to bed, you know, all that sort of stuff. And the end result is that maybe you're on your email from the moment you get up till the moment you go to bed and that kind of wears you down. And so that's something I'm very aware of. And then it's really just experimentation. So trying to be self-aware, trying to notice when you get things wrong and try to learn from it. Um, and then trying to get in some really good habits for that are ingrained so that when you get on tour, um, you can keep those things rolling. But tour life is a completely different way of living. So that'll just be making sure I go with this great intention of what's the most important thing. And that's putting on the show each day. Um, and the way to do that, the best is look after myself um, and then just work out how to do that and reflect on what different ways I can do that 
in my day-to-day life on tour. And then so hopefully I can come home and still be a healthy human being because that's the thing a lot of musicians do kind of run themselves into the ground. And that's why a lot of bands quit over, you know, eventually because it's like too difficult a lifestyle. But that's that's my aim. My aim is to try to be a healthy touring musician. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, I wish you uh, the best of luck. Break a leg or whatever you're supposed to say in that sort of scenario. Um, you have a very supportive fan base. So I think whatever you need to do on the road, like whether it's like not doing the meet and greet stuff as much to just kind of not get burned out. I feel like your fans will understand because that seems like it probably be part of it. Um, coming back to the record, of course, because that's what we're here to talk about. Like I, I read that Dan finished the drums back in 2020, which means some of these songs are written, you know, three plus years ago. You finished recording them last year. You're about to go out and tour and play these songs. Are, are these already old songs to you guys? Because like, you know, the the whole quote record cycles, like two, three years, new record tour, yada, yada. But, you know, it's been six years since the last record. And these songs are kind of in that middle area now. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a lot of these songs we started to write in middle of 2019, like about May, June. And uh, they were kind of written like the structure, like riffs, drums, bass. Um, and then probably like maybe half to two thirds of the everything else was like written by the end of 2019. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, you know, Zen and I were probably maybe two thirds, three quarters away through writing our parts, like often because that's kind of the cherry on top parts, some of those elements. Um, so we hadn't quite finished for a couple of songs. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, there were some songs that just got put off to the side, you know, so like the violin parts and the vocal parts for Graal. I hadn't finished. I had some demo ideas, but they weren't completely done. And I just put it off to the side for like a whole year and then came back like a year later when I rec- finally got a chance to record violin. And I actually tossed all my old parts in the bin and redid them way better, actually. Cool. Like the ending violin solo in Growl, you know, I was like searching. It's such a magical riff, I think. And um, I was searching for something that that matched the intensity of it. And I've only came up with it like after having that break from the song and so I was kind of really pleased about that and I guess that's maybe a a little positive side effect of that delay the the opportunity to go away from a song and come back to it is not something we've had a chance to do since Portal of Eye um and so and Zen and I were really the only two members that got that benefit because everyone else kind of um, already had their stuff fully written by the time the pandemic hit but, you know, Zen and I were kind of rewriting some elements of what we were doing later on. And so because of that, I guess it didn't feel old. And then it's such an exciting process finishing a record. I mean, it can be stressful, <laughs> um, especially trying to get the mix right, because our songs are quite complex. And if the mix isn't exactly right, it doesn't come across. Mm. You know, like a song like um, like Equas, the the balance and the change from what is important, you know, from the bass to the guitar solos to the strings to the violin solos to the clean vocals to Zen, it, it keeps changing all through the song and that balance and that flow has to be exactly right or else it, it the song doesn't work anymore. Um, and... I, but the process of doing that is then really very, very 
enjoyable when you see that progress and when you see you getting there. So in, I think it was like first week of July last year, we actually finished like mastered the album. And so that was the first time we could get back and listen to the songs and then be done. And it's like, wow, this is, you know, with Equas, for example, you know, I remember having in my imagination <laughs> how the mix was supposed to sound in like late September, 2019, I wrote a whole bunch of that. And then it was, you know, almost three years later, I could finally hear the final mix. And I was like, this is what I had in my imagination. How cool is this? It's cool. It's finally here. And that gives this freshness to it. And then it's, you know, that excitement of wanting people to share it. The other thing is we've never played the songs. Like we've never performed the songs before. I think the thing that gives songs aging for us as a band (laughs) is when you've done the show for like two, done the song for like 200 shows. And it doesn't matter how good the song is, you're keen to just play some different songs just to mix it up. Um, And so because we've never performed these songs before, there's this real sense of excitement of, hey, we get to finally play these songs. We get to finally share these songs for the first time. So from that perspective, it kind of doesn't matter how long ago we started because until we get to do that, it's still this anticipation for that next step, which is, to be honest, the most fun thing about being the band is performing the songs and connecting with the audience at a live concert. You know, like that's what I've got in my imagination when I'm writing the song, when we're mixing, I'm trying to make sure that energy is there so people understand it, so that they come to the show, so we can share that moment in time, you know, with them um, in that personal way. Uh, coming back to the, the density and complexity of some of your songs, uh, since Citadel, you guys have put out multiple like multi-part tracks and multi-part songs. And there's one on this new album, which I'm about to butcher the title of, Mesercord? Mesercordy? You guys, I should tell you, you guys also make it a a gift and a challenge to fans to learn new words. Because earlier today, I was Googling, what does this word mean? And uh, so that song is split into two parts. And the second half of it starts to this really beautiful, clean, almost bluesy sort of guitar intro. And then, you know, it breaks into Neo Madness. Where do you guys decide to split this track into two songs? Is it just simply you don't want an 18 minute song or is it like the lyrics come later and they're already two pieces? Because they do blend into each other. So it seems like they could be one massive piece. Yeah. So generally that's like um, decisions that I make in the songwriting. So that's kind of generally, I would say that every song that's been two bars has been my well the, the other guys would sometimes say it's my fault like I'm, <laughs> I'm always being like um but what if <laughs> what if then we did this like i'm that guy in the band <laughs> that's me but sure <laughs> um and so you know from that perspective uh with with all of them it's always working out if the song can go in some different direction and it comes from a place of me really enjoying music that flows and albums that just keep flowing, you know, like we haven't ever written a concept album per se, but every album I'm always trying to like, as we're writing it, I'm always trying to imagine the the track list and how it will flow so that each track makes sense next to each other. Um, that's something that's really important to me about, our albums and making sure that 
this song fits next to that song and vice versa. So for me, there's always a very, very clear track list. And it's one that track, once that track list has come into my head, that's when I start to um, feel like, okay, I think we have the the package of songs to create this record. So for something like Misericord, I think that um, that was originally, uh, you know, part one was a song, you know, about seven and a half minutes, pretty much what's there. Um, that was, you know, that one's like mostly written by like Benji and Tino. Um, and you can tell that cause it's more guitar driven. Um, and you hear, whenever you hear something more technical, um, you know, like it's going to be one of those guys that, um, is writing it. And, um, because it was quite, you know, uh, quick changes, you know, um, change, 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 a lot of different ideas happening in that seven and a half minutes, for me, it got to the end and it hit that final chord. And I'm just like, you know, it could really use a complete change of pace. And I just started playing along on the piano and singing. And that was the original idea. There was that demo and it would hit that final chord. And I just sat there playing on the piano, coming out with ideas. And I came up with that original chord progression on the piano. And you can actually hear in the background the original demo piano is actually part of the album version of that track. There's a little um, a little thing there because there's two piano tracks there. One is my keyboard, which is just over here. Um, and one is the original like piano. It's a little bit out of tune and they're kind of blended together. And that's from like the original, just the home demo version of it. It kind of makes it sound a little bit less... Uh, a little bit less pretty, you know, a little bit more atmosphere, which was the idea. And then it was going on from there. And then, you know, from that point, it's just going, hey, let's develop this idea. Okay, I had the idea to go violin solo, very, very quiet. Hey, Benji, over to you. Can you do something that halfway through your solo builds up to um, a distorted lead? And then from there, it was like, okay, complete change of direction um, in this buildup to like cut and I think it's about 11 minutes or something like that to then have that second part of that build up where the strings come in and we have that kind of big epic finale over that last five and a half minutes. And that was something that we kind of jammed out a little bit one time and I kind of just put it together, wrote all the strings, sent it back to the guys and um, and went from there. And so, and that's really just that combination of the different writing styles as well and wanting to have that ebb and flow through the record. So when we have quite a bit of the technical riff, 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 which is really like fantastic um, element of what we do, I'm often listening for, okay, now's the time for maybe a chord progression that just repeats for three minutes um, and complete change of pace and complete change of direction. Or maybe we do a five minute build up or, or something like that. I'm always looking for that up and down throughout the album and without the song, right, throughout the song. And I guess that's what was the case with that one and really with any of the the multi-part songs, it's always kind of me going, hey, I've got this idea for a complete change of direction. Now, as to why it's not like a 17-minute track, I think I think in that way because of maybe my classical background, um, you know, I think about in movements, you know, so it could be a 17-minute song, um, because it does just flow, like there's no break, it is written as one entity, but there was an original idea as a song, and then when I wrote that chord progression at the start of part two, I did think in my head, yep, yeah, right there, that's the track change, we're in movement two, you know, the same way as if you write a string quartet or a symphony or whatever, you might have three or four movements. 
So I guess I kind of think like that. That's probably my classical background of going, yeah, this is this is movement two. Off we go in this new direction, totally different feel, but part of the same overall piece of music. I mean, that makes a lot of sense when you put it in the, the classical sort of lens, because yeah, duh. <laughs> but yeah, that those two together, unbelievable. Like I love this album, and I'm not just saying it because you're on the show. You know, I love this band. Um, couple more for you before I imagine we need to wind down. Uh, how was working with your daughter on Grawl? It was great. Um, it was actually an idea that only I only came up with it about maybe three three or four days before the video shoot. Um, and it was, we kind of had everything organized, you know, Zen, the videos are always Zen's vision. He's the visual guy. That's his specialty, you know, um, in the band, everyone's good at different things. And we, we'd really try to utilize, you know, what each member is great at. And, and Zen is great. Um, not just as a vocalist, but he does all the artwork. Um, he, you know, directs the videos. Um, he does our band photos from that visual perspective. He's just really quite brilliant. Um, and so he had everything sorted out, but a few days beforehand, I kind of realized, hey, what's happened in the last two, three minutes of the video? Because I'm thinking, okay, after Benji finishes his solo, I know we've got um, this wonderful um, fire dancer, Jesse Spin, uh, performing at the end of the video. I know that we're going to have me. I know that Zen doesn't sing in the last couple of minutes. The guitars and the bass are just repeating the same riff for three minutes. So there's not too much interesting, like, visually because there's nothing changing, but there's string section, there's violin solo, then there's a second layer of the violin solo, and then there's a viola section. And on the album, that's all me. (laughs) And I'm like, it's not going to work. I can't do all that in the video. When the viola comes in, if that's me, and if I'm playing the strings, and then we cut to me playing the solo, cut to me playing the viola, that's going to look kind of crap. So I, I pitched to Zen, like, hey, we, maybe we need to bring in a string section last minute so that we can have, so that I'm not shown playing the main string part. And then it was like, maybe we get a few kids to do it. Um, but then the first kid I had in mind was my daughter, Amelie, um, because she plays the violin as well. And when I, I spent about 20 minutes teaching this to her, maybe two or three days before the shoot. And that part is in 7-4, and the part's not difficult as far as the notes, but being in 7-4, it's not straightforward. Like, most kids have never played in 7-4 before. (laughs) Um, But she has a really good sense of rhythm, and it took me about 20 minutes to teach her the part, and I thought, uh, if it takes me 20 minutes to teach her the part one-on-one, and she has a great sense of rhythm, I'm going to need a lot of rehearsal time if it's a group of kids. I I talked to Zen, I'm like, I don't think... I don't think we can do a group of kids because I think they're going to make mistakes and it's going to be a nightmare. (laughs) So then it was like, do we try to get then a few adults? Um, But then we actually had my sister, the blonde in Equas that is performing violin in in the Equas video is my sister, Emma. She's a violinist as well. But Zen was like, oh, we already did Emma in the Equas video. We could do something different. I'm like, well, let's do, let's do Amelie. Can we, does it work for the story of the video? to have like a solo, you know, child violinist. And so he kind of came up with a concept on about three days notice and it, it worked really well. And I think that because when she was little, you know, she was only like, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, when I was touring a lot. And the last time we released an album, she was only five and a half. Like now she's almost 11. 
And so when she's five, obviously her understanding of what her dad does for a career is quite different. Whereas now she gets it. Mm. She gets what I do. She understands it a lot more. And so for her, it was kind of this really special thing to be involved instead of the band being something where the band maybe takes me away from her. It was like, hey, this really cool thing you get to be involved too. Um, and she's a real like little theater kid. She does lots of musical theater and stuff like that. That's that's her, her fun thing to do. So um, so she loved the idea of, you know, being on camera and, and combining that with her violin and um, just a special thing to be able to, I guess, match that up um, in a way that that worked really well as well. Like it came out um, so wonderfully, um, that whole video, including her part, which was, so it was a lot of fun. It's a very cool thing to be able to say when she's older as well for her, because it's just a really cool thing. Uh, does she like metal? Yeah, she does. Sick. I mean, funnily <laughs> enough, I mean, she, she probably listens to less of it now than when she was little. I remember I always joke with her that when she was like, two, when she was two, um, you know, Tesseract had just released like Altered State and her favorite song in the whole world was like Nocturne. And so she was like two and she was sitting in the back seat of the car saying like Tesseract Nocturne, Tesseract Nocturne. She would just want the same Tesseract song over and over again. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things, you know, she, she got into hugely actually a few years ago was when she was maybe five or six was baby metal. And I was like, this is such a great example of how stuff like that can be great gateway um, uh, music for for um, for younger fans because it's like legitimate like metal music, but with like J-pop choruses. Yeah. And so, um, but the riffs, you know, the riffs are, you know, like really legit metal stuff and, and some really cool riffing in there. And um, and she just loves them. So they're like one of her favorite bands. Um, but, um, but yeah, but she's also been listening to quite a lot of of Exil, the new album lately um which is cool um uh she's been kind of getting excited by the fact that people are listening and you know when the video came out for growl she wanted to hop on the youtube comments and see what people were oh don't do that (laughs) (laughs) gotta shut that down soon you know what that it was funny because we were doing that together and i was and i joked with her that hey you know normally it's not a good idea to read the youtube comments but to be honest, like the response for um, both our first two singles has been so overwhelmingly positive, you know, and I kind of joke with her because, you know, we would scroll through comments and there might be, you know, 20 comments and maybe 19 of them are saying how amazing the song is. And maybe three or four of them were commenting on oh, how much they love the clean vocals. And then there would be like one guy like, ah, oh, you know, I can't stand the clean vocals for this song or whatever. And I would, and Amelie would be like, Dad, like that's really mean. It's like, ah, oh, this is the way it the way it is. Like, can't, you know, I always say you can't can't let the the positive feedback go to your head too much because otherwise you end up like an egomaniac. Um but you also can't let the the negative feedback go to your head, otherwise you want to slit your wrist. So you just gotta go, that's cool. Not everyone's gonna like it. You can be the biggest band in the world, and people aren't gonna. Not everyone likes everything, and um, you know. But yeah, the YouTube comments have actually been a very friendly place for us on this record so far. So I hope I'm not jinxing ourselves <laughs> by saying that out loud. But um, yeah, it's been really heartening just to see the response and the excitement over the new music. 
Well, I think it's a good place to stop. I think it's our time anyway. So uh, thank you for being on my show again. I love the new record. I'm very excited to see you guys in October. Uh, I know you've got family and folks and, um, and friends and whatnot in San Francisco, but I'll be there somewhere waving at you, trying to get your attention. Because uh, a few years back, I brought a copy of Citadel to the DNA Lounge. I got everybody but you to sign it. So you still owe me a signature, whether you like it or not. So uh, I will see you in October. And thank you again. So you have a good rest of your day, sir. Thank you very much for having us. And um, yeah, it would be wonderful to be in San Francisco again, without a doubt. All right. See you then, man. Thank you. Thank you. Excel by Nabla Viscaris will be out Friday, March 24th via Season of Mist Records. You can head to nablaviscaris.com.au to grab your copy as well as merch, find tour dates there, and all that good stuff. Then as always, the theme song is Far Band Metal by the band's Trapping Young Lad. From there, I'm the New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.